All right, let's turn our attention now to Mark chapter 1. If you found that, would you stand, please? We'll read together God's Word. Mark chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 9 to verse 13. Verses 9, 10, and 11 is the baptism of Jesus. Verses 12 and 13 is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Verses 9 and 10 and 11, we find hope. Verses 12 and 13, we find help. Now, this is going to be a two-point sermon. It has ten sub-points. <laughs> but I need you to not go out of here and say, that preacher preached a ten-point sermon today. I did not. Let's go to the Bible. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 13. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 9. <clears throat> In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for the help that we need Pray that you would restore gospel hope into the hearts of people here today. Father, I pray that you would prevent me from saying anything that is not in the Bible, only that which honors you and points people to Christ and is true. And Lord, I pray that you would do the impossible, or what was thought to be impossible, in the hearts of people here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> When you're down in a pit and it's pitch black dark, <clears throat> you've tried several times to get out of that pit, but the sides of that pit are too slippery and the walls are too high and you can't climb out and so you sink down and drop into that pit. When you sit in the darkness of a pit like that, Two things that you need. You need hope that you're going to get out, and you need help. John Mark realizes that. John Mark, or we'll just call him Mark. Mark is the one who wrote this. He wrote his gospel different than the others. Mark skips right over the genealogy, doesn't give us a birth narrative. Matthew did that. Luke did that. Mark doesn't slow down to talk about Jesus in the synagogue and his childhood. He gives us none of that. Mark runs us right up to the edge of the Jordan River. To the beginning of God's grace. First time we meet Jesus in this gospel, he is a full-grown man getting ready to start his ministry. There at the Jordan it would begin, the Jordan we see his baptism. The desert, we see his temptation. The Jordan, we see his baptism, which gives us hope. The desert, we see his temptation, which gives us help. And I want you to see that God's grace in Jesus 
means there is hope and help. Join me in the passage in verse 9. We'll start with the first point. The first point, there will be some sub-points, but here's the first point. Number one, in Jesus there is great hope. You see it there as it opens up in verse 9, in those days. That little phrase, in those days, it's a tool that Mark uses throughout his gospel as Mark takes all of these pictures and stories of Jesus and he lines them out like a storyboard and pulls them together, tapes them up, and the tape he uses is the phrase, in those days. He takes us to the very beginning to show us that Jesus gives us hope. I want you to see that the baptism of Jesus has great meaning for us. I want you to find hope in his humility. Look at his humility there in verse 9. The text opens up, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Nazareth. What did Nathaniel say when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament. You don't see it in the Talmud. You don't see it in Josephus, who writes the history of the Jews. You don't hear anything about Nazareth. In fact, John Mark knew that. This gospel is written to the church at Rome, and to give them some bearing, he says, Nazareth of Galilee. It's like if somebody from Nevada asks me, where do you live in North Carolina? And I say, Mint Hill, North Carolina. They don't know where that is. So what I'll say is, Charlotte, North Carolina. John Mark tells us, Nazareth of Galilee. From, from an unknown town, nobody even knows where that is. Evidently, Jesus is now standing on the banks of the Jordan River. This will be the very first time in the biblical record that John the Baptist and Jesus actually are face to face. John the Baptist has been out there in the wilderness, to read the early part of the chapter, preaching hellfire, calling people to repentance, baptizing them, and the baptism, baptism he's doing is one for the repentance of sins. Person after person is being baptized. There Jesus stands in anonymity. What did Isaiah tell us? He had no form or majesty. We would look on him. What did Paul say in Philippians? Being found in human form, he humbled himself. Now Jesus, among the crowd of sinners, it's starting. You ever been humbled? You ever been humiliated? Humiliated almost to the point of not recovering? Maybe you're living in that now. Maybe you carry some of that shame. I'm... Just before I even get started, I'm going to tell you, you need to fly to Jesus. You need to run to Jesus. See the one who is humble for you. Take great comfort and hope in his humility. But we can't stay there long because the story starts to unfold. You'll find it in verse 9. I want you to find hope in his righteousness. Look how brief Mark is in his righteousness Mark just says in verse 9, he was baptized in the Jordan River. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
Now, I want to know more about that, and so I've got to flip over to Matthew, and maybe go take a look at it over in Luke. So Matthew gives us a fuller account. Matthew tells us that evidently John is baptizing people. He's got them lined up. They're being baptized for the repentance of sins, and we get to the lion, and the person in front of Jesus is baptized, and there's Jesus standing, and John says, I am not baptizing you. He's already said, I'm not worthy of unlatching his sandals. I'm certainly not going to baptize him. I'm not baptizing you. In fact, you should baptize me, he tells Jesus that in Matthew. And the story goes that, and the wording is, that, um, that you will baptize me. But what is John's problem? Why won't he baptize Jesus? Jesus tells him, let it be so now. Baptize me so that we might fill all or fulfill all righteousness. What does he mean? Why does John not want to baptize Jesus? John knows that Jesus is not like all these other people he's been baptizing down here in the Jordan River. They're all sinners that need to repent. Not Jesus. He's without sin. Here you see the beginning. At the very onset of his ministry, Jesus came to save sinners, not by example, although his example is always perfect. We look to Jesus for his example in fact, for him to be baptized, I mean, it's an example for any of you that have not been baptized. But we don't look to Jesus just for his example. His example doesn't save us. His substitution saves us. When I say substitution, what I mean is he became, Paul said, he who knew no sin became sin for us that in Jesus we might become righteousness of God. You see Jesus at the banks of the Jordan River. Why is he being baptized? For the very first time, he now is identifying with sinners. He's identifying with you down in the pit. Think with me for a moment. Think with me, you want to Take a bath so you run the hot water and fill up the bathtub. And if you're a woman, you may have put some sort of bubble bath perfume soap in there. If you're a man and you did that, then we've got a more significant problem. <laughs> you filled it up uh, and it smells so good and you're ready to take your bath. And before you do, a line of rugby players that have been in a match showed up at your house and run up the stairs, and one after the other gets in that bathtub, and they're filthy. You bring all of their teammates, and one after the other, and gradually the water goes from clear to gray to black, and it's nasty. All those sinners baptized in the Jordan River Jesus going to be baptized was not for himself. He goes in where all the sinners were in the filth to be identified with you and me. Not by example, but by substitution. He wasn't a sinner. He came to identify with me and you. 
our father, the first Adam, the very first Adam, the Adam and Eve creation, we look back and we're all from Adam. Here comes the second Adam. The first Adam created to have fellowship with God fell into sin and took all of us with him. He was supposed to be the example for us. Now the second Adam, who is Jesus, has come on the scene and not as an example, he's come as our substitute. I want you to, I want you to find hope. If you've, you've sinned, you're separated from God, you feel the guilt of it. I want you to look at this. Here is Jesus baptized being baptized, identifying with you. The Bible says that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Will you run to the righteousness of Christ? Not your own. I want you to find hope. You keep looking at his baptism. Let's just talk about that. I want you to find hope in his baptism. Join me there in verse 10. He's been baptized by John in the Jordan. Verse 10 tells us that immediately, you're going to see that word a lot in the Gospel of Mark, 41 times in Mark. 16 chapters, 41 times you see the word immediately because Mark moves us along. He gets that story going along. Notice what it says in verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. A lot, a lot to look at here, so let's pick it up. The heavens being torn open. You see that phrase? Uh, the phrase is schizo. It is where we get the word schism. You'll only find it two times in the New Testament. You'll find it, all of them, are, those two times are in Mark. Those two times mark the beginning of this gospel and the end of this gospel. The very front end of this gospel in Mark chapter 1, you'll see that when Jesus came up out of the water, Spirit has descended and the heavens are torn open. That's the same phrase that Isaiah will use in Isaiah 64 when he's praying, God, I wish that you would tear open the heavens and come down. This word being torn open, the heavens being torn open, is a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus is a foreshadowing of the cross. Go with me in your mind to Mark chapter 15. Jesus has been nailed to the cross He's very close to the end. Mark 15, verse 37, 38, and 39. The text says that Jesus cried out with a loud cry, and he breathed his last, and the curtain in the temple was torn. Skidzo was torn from top to bottom. And the centurion who stood there facing him, he saw the way in which he breathed his last, and he said, truly, this was the Son of God. Mark has done this on purpose for us. The very beginning of his story, he gives us the word torn open. The heavens are rent open. So that when we have read the whole story, we get to Matthew 15 and we are told the temple curtain torn open. The Holy of Holies is exposed. You are now welcomed into the presence of God. Here the baptism of Jesus foreshadows the cross of Jesus that grants us access and hope. I want you to find hope in his baptism. You know, the, the Jordan River is pretty, pretty insignificant river by way of size and flow and capacity. But it's played a large part in the story of the Bible and God's people. There's some great men that have gone down into the Jordan River. Joshua was the first one. Joshua went there and 
split the Jordan River. What a great story that is. Or, or the great preacher, Elijah, who was the forerunner of John the Baptist, Elijah goes down to the Jordan River and splits the Jordan River. Or, or Elisha, who did more miracles than Elijah, he goes down to the Jordan River and splits the river. What power those men had. The Lord Jesus goes down into the Jordan River and splits heaven, giving access for all who will believe in him. I want you to take hope in the baptism of Jesus. Keep looking at it. I want you to take hope in his anointing. Verse 10 tells us his anointing. I didn't know what else to call it, the anointing. Verse 10 tells us that the Spirit has descended like a dove. I call it anointing because in Luke chapter 3, Jesus says in the synagogue that the Lord has anointed me, the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. Something else though, something else here that you can't, I kept wrestling with it. What else is here? I'm thinking about the Spirit over the Jordan, Jesus coming out of the water. You have the Spirit and water the Spirit hovering over the water. And as I thought about it, what started coming into view was creation. You remember the story of creation? Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. Verse 2. And the Spirit hovered over the water at creation. Now, Jesus is down in the waters, the Jordan. And he's ushering in a new creation. Is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 your favorite verse? It should be. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Will you come to him? Will you come to Jesus and be made new? Will you come and, and say, I have fallen so far short of the glory of God. I know I'm created on purpose by God, but my sin nature has kept me, my sins and offenses. And I want to fly to Christ. I want to run to Jesus and, and receive the, the righteousness he earned and have him take my sin away at the cross. Will you come and give your life to Jesus? I want you to find hope here. I want you to find hope in his power. This, this passage is filled with such power. You, you see it in verse 10 and 11, and especially in verse 11, this passage is one of the great Trinitarian passages in the whole New Testament. Trinitarian. If you've just been visiting, you're not sure what I, when I say Trinitarian, here's what I mean. That God has revealed himself to us one true God revealing himself to us in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not only that, we believe that our salvation is not something cheap that just happens because we made a decision. We believe that our salvation is wrapped up in the Trinity. That God the Father has planned it, God the Son has accomplished it, and God the Spirit applies it to our hearts. What we have right here is the Trinity on the fullest display. Look at it with me. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> and a voice came from heaven. 
You are my beloved son. That's the father. Back up and see the son and the spirit. When he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Here's what you have. Look at the picture. Look at it in its wholeness. You have the son obeying. You have the spirit descending. You have the father declaring. Brothers and sisters, here is the power of salvation. Let's you and I not cheapen what it means to be a Christian. Let's you and I not cheapen it to say that if you would raise your hand at the end of a service or look up at a preacher at the end of the service, or even if you're baptized and nothing happened to you, let's not cheapen it. The power of salvation is not the power for you to make a decision. The power of salvation is God bringing you from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. We, we even talk about it with words like being converted. Why do we use those words? Because there are a lot of people here that are genuinely saved and genuinely struggle from time to time with the, with the security of salvation, being afraid they might not be Christian. Now, I'm not talking about people that um, made a decision one day and nothing ever happened. They lived like the devil for years and then worry if they're not saved. You need to quit worrying. You're not saved. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about people that, that are sensitive, that genuinely love God and living for Christ, but sometimes worry. I want you to come to this passage and look what God does to secure. Look at all the power there. To accomplish this work, Jesus obeying, the Spirit descending, God declaring. Look, don't hope in yourself. Don't hope in yourself. Don't hope that you have faith enough. Let me tell you why. Because God has grace enough for you. Find hope in His power. Let's keep moving. You want to? Let me give you one more thing and I'll get to the next one. I want you to find hope in His rule. Find hope in His rule. Verse 11, verse 11 is basically a coronation. Uh, it's God the Father speaking in verse 11, and it's an enthronement. Let me just give it to you, verse 11. <clears throat> and a voice came from heaven. Okay, that's the narration. Here's the voice. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. This is God spoken, audible voice, and he takes two Bible passages brings them together in fusion in Psalm verse 2. Psalm 2 uh, verse 7 is a messianic statement of the sonship of the king. Isaiah 42 verse 1 speaks of the suffering servant. In verse 11, God has brought those two together to say, here's the one you've been waiting on. It's an expression of the double nature of Christ. God had a chosen people called Israel. Israel. Israel was God's people that failed in the desert. Jesus is God's son who will triumph in the desert. God's grace, brothers and sisters. God's grace in Jesus means there's hope. Now to the desert we go. Second point. 
in Jesus, there is great help. There's great help. You'll find it in verses 12 and 13. 12 and 13 give us the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And it's out in the wilderness that we will find out that Jesus is not only a new Adam or a second Israel, Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus gives us help. In fact, I want you to see that there is help in our fights. What do you fight against? You fight against sin, you fight against the culture, and the fight that you have in life, there is help in our fights. Let me show you where I get that in verse 12. This verse is filled with all kinds of aggression, verse 12 is. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Jesus comes up out of the baptismal waters, and the Spirit, they're connected, the Spirit immediately drives him. That word drive is the word of the word that is cast out or compels or presses him. It's a, it's, it's a word of urgency, and then Mark compounds it with that word immediately cast out. We know it goes into the desert to have a war with Satan. He goes there, he doesn't meander into the desert. He is thrown. Why is it like that? Because we know that in the desert, we can read in verse 12 and 13, Satan will be defeated by Jesus. You, you find the effects of that later on. Chapter 1, when Jesus comes up on someone possessed. Chapter 1, verse 24, the demons that have possessed that person, they say, have you, have you come to destroy us? In chapter 5 of Mark, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Chapter 5, verse 7, that whole pack of them called Legion, they say, what do, you, what do you have to do with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? We beg you, please don't torture us. It's as if they know what happened in the desert. What are you, what are you fighting what besetting sin are you fighting? What addiction are you fighting? What do you feel like you're in the wilderness fighting? Let's join him there in the fight. But before we do, I just want you to know there's no, there's no demon in hell. There's no demon in your dreams. There's no demon in your nightmares. There's no demon in your past that Jesus has not defeated at his cross. There's help in your fight. Let's go to the temptation. Join me there. There's help in our temptation. Verse 13, he's in the wilderness, the text says. He is in the wilderness 40 days. You read it there in front of you. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Matthew gives us a fuller account of the temptation. So we go to Matthew to find out what happened there in the temptation. And Matthew tells us of the several temptations and the way that Satan makes his temptation. What Satan would say. Go and read Matthew and we find there that Satan would typically start off the temptation with the phrase, if you are the Son of God. Now, now, now remember, do you remember, do you happen to remember the very last thing that God the Father said to Jesus before the Spirit pressed him into the wilderness? 
Do you remember you see it in verse 11? Just look up, look up at the page. God the Father has said to his son, you are my beloved son. I am pleased with you. Satan says, if you are, Does it sound familiar? Genesis chapter 2. And the serpent came to Eve and said, Has God said? Satan says, Are you? God says, You are. The first Adam, the first Adam lived in a paradise and was tempted and fell. The second Adam has gone into the wilderness, the desert, and won. And every one of us here is either in the first Adam or the second. We are born into this world in the first Adam. We are saved out of it by the second. Look, our help is not in our willpower and our ability and our strength and the chance to fight things off. We get our sinful nature from Adam. Our help is in the Spirit of God that we receive by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is help in that. You remember what the, remember what the author of Hebrews said? About us being tempted and how Jesus helps us in our temptation? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 the author tells us, for because he himself suffered when tempted, and he did suffer, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Would you call on him? Call on him to help you. I want to give you, I want to give you one last one so that I don't feel rushed because we're going to take the Lord's Supper at the end of the sermon. I want you to know that that this promise here reminds us that he helps us in our waiting. Our waiting. What are you waiting? Verse 13 tells us that he was in the wilderness, in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was without food, we find out. Surrounded, relentless demons every single day, 40 days. He's not eaten, starving and suffering. It's so bad, you read verse 13, it's so bad that God has dispatched angels to go and minister to him. He's there 40 days. Now you do a study of the Old Testament, even the New, and you go and see the word 40, the, the time frame of 40 shows up over and over again. Usually it is in the context of judgment or testing. For instance, Genesis 5 and 6, when God wiped out all of creation at the flood rained for 40 days, 40 nights. Moses, as a young man, killed the Egyptian. God put him in the desert 40 years before he used him. Israel had sinned 40 days. Moses interceded. Israel sinned against God. 40 years they wandered in the desert. Mark gets that word and reminds us Jesus has gone into the wilderness to take all of our torture, all of our judgment upon himself, all of that testing 
on our behalf, and he turns that. I'm not saying you don't wait, but the waiting is not judgment. If you're in Christ, Jesus has taken judgment. It is not God judging you. God has put his judgment on Jesus. You are now his child. Anything that's hard that goes on in your life is God refining you and disciplining you, sanctifying you. And just as God sent the angels to minister to his son, Jesus, even more so has God the Father given us his very son, the son of God, to minister to us. You see, God gives us hope in a life of struggle, and he gives us help in every fight we're in. The grace of God in Jesus means that there is hope, there is help. Brothers and sisters, that right there is good news. And a way to celebrate the good news is for us to set our minds on what Jesus has done for us at the cross. Let me say a word of prayer to close out our time of sermon, and then let's put our mind on the Lord's Supper. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would apply the hope and the help found in Christ. And I pray that you will, this morning, as we close out our worship service, would you tangibly remind us of the grace you've given us at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.